Welcome to the State of the Lakers on Dash Radio. It's Saturday. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out. Man, uh, bad news. Rough night for the Lakers. Uh, I really appreciate Raj covering for me as I had yet another holiday party. I love the holidays. I love being around family. I love spending time with my loved ones. I love all of the social elements of it. But it can be so stressful socially just to constantly have stuff on your calendar. And then when you get married, it just gets doubled because you got all her friends, you got all her family, and it just becomes a whole thing. But uh, that said, I'm enjoying it. It's just exhausting, and I feel bad because I haven't been available to Raj. Uh, That obviously, in conjunction with my, my grandfather's funeral, made things really complicated. But it's good to be back. I'm going to be back with the normal post game show routine tomorrow night, and I'm excited about that. But we're going to talk Anthony Davis today. I'm not going to dwell too much on the game last night. I thought it was a textbook like, you know, injuries just suck the life out of a team. It was one of the big problems with that I had with playing Anthony Davis in game six. I think it was game six um, of the series against the Phoenix Suns. I thought as soon as Anthony Davis got out there and was clearly hurt, I thought it sucked the life out of the team. They were horrible in the first quarter. They dug way too big of a hole, and it ended up being something they couldn't come back from. I thought from a strategy standpoint, it it would have been better just to try to steal that game six and maybe let him play game seven, you know, because you'd have an extra two days there. But it just, I didn't agree with that strategy. And you saw another example of that effect last night, obviously not as some sort of injury management. But when Anthony Davis goes down, you know, when you have a team like this where all of the talent is tied up in LeBron and AD and one of them goes down, it's really discouraging. It takes the life out of your team. It makes it really, really hard to continue believing in what you're trying to do on the court. And so uh, you can kind of see, I thought the game was kind of trending like the Sacramento game from a couple weeks ago, the one where LeBron didn't play, where we kind of played down to the competition for about a half and it looked frustrating, but then we just came out like gangbusters in the second half and and made a real uh, run at it and ran away with the game. I thought we were heading in that direction uh, there as we were going on that run to start the second half. And then... Anthony Davis went down, and, and that's just how it goes. LeBron also had a bad game, but I'm not going to be too you know, hard on him about that considering the fact that he had been playing so well for a couple of weeks. Uh, but it's kind of a throwaway game. It is what it is. The team is still trending in the right direction in terms of their habits. And honestly, they're completely ravaged with COVID. All of these teams right now, we're going to talk more about COVID here after we get to Anthony Davis, but all these teams that are down, all these players, it's not fair to really evaluate them because – they're hardly fielding anything remotely resembling what their basketball team is actually going to look like when we get to end of this when we get to the end of this road. So it's kind of throwaway. Moving on, to Anthony Davis. I waited. You know, here it's four p.m. local time in Tucson. I waited until this point in the day to to get the result from the MRI because I just didn't see the point in trying to pontificate about these different scenarios until we knew. You know what I mean? And I got back and uh, from some of the stuff I was working on today and, and, and it was still hadn't come out yet. And I was about to record a pod where I was about to go over both scenarios. And I'm really glad that I don't have to do that, that this, I think this was the best case scenario. For those of you who haven't seen the report, it's an MCL sprain. He's going to be out four weeks at least before they reevaluate him. But when I saw that, I thought that was the best case scenario. When you see a guy in that much pain, it's just not going to be a, oh, he's fine and ready to go in a couple of days. That's just not how it goes, especially when you saw him collapsing in the tunnel. 
Obviously, I was excited when I heard that they did that on-site, you know, kind of like physical test on the knee to see if it had stability, and it was still fine, and I'm glad for that. But I was still worried with the pain that best-case scenario we were looking at a month, you know. And my guess is we'll probably be without Anthony Davis for two months. We're probably looking at about, you know, after the All-Star break as a return. You know, some of the stuff that was going around about what he would do, you know, if Anthony Davis was out for the season was so ridiculous to me. Guys, LeBron's not leaving L.A. His family is so ingrained in that community now. His son is going, both of his kids are going to high school at Sierra Canyon. He loves it there. Would it be a huge bummer? Would it be really difficult for him to compete with if Anthony Davis had a serious injury? Yes, but... There was just no scenario where he was going to up and leave and go to another city. You certainly weren't going to trade Anthony Davis. That was ludicrous. There was a bunch of really ridiculous things. And it doesn't make sense to make a small trade on the periphery, like flipping THT for a Miles Turner or something, if you're not going to compete for a title this year. At that point, you need THT to develop. So I'm really glad we didn't have to dive too far into that as possibilities that a lot of those talking points that were going around yesterday I thought were kind of ridiculous This is the best case scenario. So for starters, we can all kind of exhale and and take a deep breath and realize as bad as it could have been, this was the best case scenario. And I actually, so I want to talk about what I think the Lakers strategy is moving forward and how I think there's a little tiny nugget of a silver lining potentially tucked in here. And we'll go over all of that. So I think uh, what I was going to say is if AD was horribly injured, like season ending injured, I was going to recommend not trading anybody because at that point you desperately need THT to hit as an all-star level prospect to help carry you through this time. And I don't think LeBron and AD are going anywhere. So it just didn't make sense to cash in in the meantime. But we talked a lot during the season that we would trade THT potentially or be in favor of trading THT if the team was trending in the right direction and had enough of that success apart from THT that you could count him as a trade piece that might invigorate the team, as opposed to if THT was playing great and the team was playing great, it would make no sense in trading him. And if the team was going nowhere, it would make no sense in trading him. Those were kind of like the three scenarios that we were looking at there. Well, I think with the AD injury now, you have to trade Talon Horton Tucker. And the reason why I say that is this season is still alive in terms of a potential run at the championship. Why? Because the teams at the top are flawed. Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns don't have that super duper star. The Utah Jazz don't have that super duper star. The Golden State Warriors, as great as they are, they don't have that big rim pressuring wing that is so, you know, necessary at the late rounds of the playoffs. That doesn't mean Golden State's not a contender. I absolutely respect them as a contender. I just think they can be beat. And I think the Lakers could beat them. And so with Anthony Davis making a return this season, that's still all on the table. And then coming out of the East, you're likely going to get Brooklyn. And that's a team the Lakers have the ability to physically bully. So I think you have to understand the opportunity that is this season. Once you look at it from that perspective, with Anthony Davis gone, your front court is utterly depleted. Your front court is now DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza. 
So I've got a primarily defensive old forward, a primarily offensive old forward, and two centers. One of them is a backup, and one of them should be an end-of-the-bench guy. So you absolutely have to now go after that Miles Turner trade. I didn't like the Miles Turner trade when Anthony Davis was healthy because I thought it was going away from the identity that this team was trying to build. But now with Anthony Davis out for at least a month, probably two, you need to find a way to float in the standings in the immediate future. And the only way to do that is to flip THT for a guy like Miles Turner that can really shore up the front court while simultaneously giving you that floor spacing with his ability to shoot that will allow LeBron and Russ to carry you. Because now think about this. LeBron and Russ are going to have enormous workloads over the course of these next two months. So if you can find a way to bring that talent into the front court with Miles Turner while maintaining that space and keeping the floor open for LeBron and Russ to pressure the rim, you might be able to grind out a few games over 500 over the course of these next couple months, in which case then Anthony Davis can come back and now you can really make a run at it. Ideally, I would have liked to have kept THT and traded him for someone like Jeremy Grant. I just don't think that's an option now. Unless you want to go crazy all in on small ball and you know we don't know what's going on in the front office, maybe they want to go that way. I just don't think that's the smart strategy now with Anthony Davis out. So I would flip THT sooner than later. Sometime in the, as soon as his contract allows, which I'm, I, I've heard middle December, I've heard middle January. I'm not sure when exactly that is. I think you got to flip THT for Miles Turner. I think you got to go, go all in on a front court of LeBron and Miles Turner with Dwight Howard coming off the bench and Ariza and Melo coming in at that other forward spot off the bench. I think you got to go all in on that and just try to float things until Anthony Davis comes back. Now, like I said, there is a silver lining to all of this. And I think it has to do with Anthony Davis's weight. And it's going to be hard because he's not going to be able to exercise as easily as you would hope. But... uh, Anthony Davis got too heavy. I think that was the underrated factor in his struggles over the course of the season. Mobility has never been his absolute strength. You know, like he's not like a Giannis, like he's not flying around the floor and covering all sorts of ground relative to like a wing, but relative to bigs, he was very mobile and he got so strong up top. He was almost top heavy. His center of gravity moved up. It became easy to push him off his spots. And most importantly, his mobility took a dip. And I think it really, really was affecting him and his ability to get to the basket. You can trim that weight in a lot of ways. One of the ways you can do it is just by stopping, just not lifting anymore. And so hopefully over the course of these next two months, he can kind of cut that out, watch his diet very carefully, do whatever cardio his doctor will allow him to do with his knee rehab, And he can drop a few pounds. And even if he just drops 5 to 10 pounds of muscle, he might be able to come back rested, fresh, lighter, more mobile, and ready to go on a run. Not to mention, during that time, that second month, you know, because that first month he's going to be resting, in that second month, when he's really just slowly ramping up his movement, he can go all in on working on his jump shot and trying to get back to where he was in terms of his confidence in his shot the way he was in the bubble. So again, just in summation, I would tr- you have to trade THT now. You have to trade him for a guy like Miles Turner. You have to pay whatever Indiana wants because you are now the desperate team. This window is still open. Golden State is beatable. 
The other teams are very beatable. You have to make a run at this. And the only way to do it is to stay afloat in the standings, try to get a three or four seed. And the only way to do that is to try to float this time that Anthony Davis is out. And I think you do that by trading THT. All right, really quickly before we get out of here, I wanted to talk about this recent COVID outbreak. And to be clear, I'm not about to talk science. I'm not about to talk about my overarching opinions of the way COVID was handled by the U.S. government. No, I'm not about to get into any of that. You guys know me. I avoid all that stuff with a 10-foot pole, not just in the podcast, but in my real, in my main life. I think it's toxic. I, I, I have opinions on stuff. I keep them mostly private. If I do have opinions, I just share them with my wife because she has an open ear and I'm just not interested in confrontation. I enjoy my life devoid of that stuff, so I don't like to talk about it. But... With this, particularly with the uh, the NBA, I think it's interesting to see the disconnect between the way people on Twitter feel about all of this and the way the actual players feel and the way the league feels. I tweeted a while back that Brian Windhorst had reported on the Low Post podcast that there was a big push behind the scenes from players and coaches and front offices to try to let players play with positive tests as long as they were vaccinated. And everyone thought that was crazy. But I think it illustrates, and by the way, the NFL just had a similar story come back where NFL players are trying to advocate for being more lenient with pulling guys out, especially when they're vaccinated and they've tested positive. To me, that illustrates a big chasm between the way people on Twitter feel about the way the NBA is handling the pandemic and the way these people actually feel. It's not entirely uncommon. A dirty little secret about Twitter is that there's really not a huge representation of the public on Twitter. I remember reading a statistic, uh, I think it was last year, that only 6% of Americans are active on Twitter. So it's really just a poor representation of what people actually think. I think that's one of the most dangerous things about Twitter is we get caught kind of in an echo chamber that doesn't actually resemble what the real world thinks or what the majority of people think. And that's not a right-left thing. I think those echo chambers exist on both sides. One of the things that I've done on Twitter is try to follow people on both sides. So I'm constantly inundated with the takes from both sides. And you can see there's an echo chamber on both sides. And, you know, but the point is, is that Twitter in and of itself is never a good indicator of what people actually think. So if you are on your couch and you're watching all these positive tests pile up and you're thinking the league needs to stop or that there's some sort of crisis materializing here. That's not actually the case. There is a crisis in the sense that the quality of the television project uh, product is struggling, right? Like guys missing games is no good for the quality of, of what we're watching on TV. However, the league has made it very clear that they're not stopping. And one of the biggest reasons why is the league is aware of the sentiment of its players. So for instance, I, I thought this was crazy when we were talking about the bubble. Everyone was talking about, like, why would we start? There was a bunch of people on Twitter saying, why would we restart the, the NBA season in a bubble? It's a pointless risk. This is this, We're doing this just to chase money. And I was one of the many people who pointed out, like, hey, the bubble's going to be safer than the real world. The guys in there are going to be obeying really, really strict protocols. And guys in the real world just weren't doing that. And I was proven right. And most, I feel like most people were kind of where I was at on that. And the, the league had zero positive tests inside the bubble, ended up being a huge success. And the reason why is because guess what? These are young, successful professionals. 
And they don't think the way that Twitter thinks. They like going out and doing stuff. They like going to the clubs. They like going to bars. They like going to a buddy's house and having a glass of wine. They like, you know, being with their family. They like having a barbecue. Like, you know, they like going to whatever the heck it is that they like to do as activities. They have no intention of stopping those things. If you pause the league, these guys aren't going to go lock themselves in their houses. They're not going to go, you know, social distance and wear masks and never put themselves at risk. That's just not reality. If the league paused for a month, guys would just continue to get COVID. So the reality here is they just have to find a way to slow it down to the point where it can, you can have a functional season where the positive tests are few and far between instead of being a huge problem that's going to cause, you know, these games where you have five G leaguers on the floor filling in for guys who are in health and safety protocols. You just have to find a way to get through this next couple of months. And, you know, the interesting little sub story here is last season, this was something Joel Embiid said in, uh, in a postgame interview. He's like, you know, we had all of these good, smart rules last year and then we ditched them all. And he's like, I thought this year was unprofessional. And he has a good point in the sense, and, and for the record, I'm going to defend the league here. You know, uh, like I think even Anthony Fauci had, uh, had came out and said that during the pande- uh, during the vaccination campaigns early in the year, in like January and February, I think he said like, hey, if we get everybody vaccinated, you know, we're not going to have any more surges. Like the surges will be a thing of the past. And that was kind of what everyone was expecting because the original data that came out with the vaccine was so good in terms of its ability to avoid infection. Also, when they were doing the vaccinations, cases were plummeting and plummeting and plummeting and plummeting. So we all thought that this year would be mostly back to normal, including the NBA. So of course, the Players Association negotiated stopping daily testing for people who were vaccinated. Well, it turns out that that was a bad decision, but we didn't know. Hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy right now to be like, this was stupid. They were going off of the information that was available at the time, okay? So now here we're at, we, we were in a situation where we had all these guys who were testing, who not testing, who were positive, asymptomatic, vaccinated people carrying COVID around and spreading it around to everybody in these locker rooms. And so you end up with 75 people getting COVID in six weeks. So all you have to do is adjust to new information. They just need to go back to the same protocols they had last year. Go back to masking. Go back to testing every day. If someone in the locker room does get COVID, then at least you're getting them out of the locker room right away instead of waiting for them to infect seven people before you find it. There's an easy fix here. It'll be really, really rough for the next couple of weeks, which is going to suck because it's going to hurt the Christmas Day games and it's going to hurt you know, a bunch of marquee primetime games. And it is what it is, but they, there is another side. There is a, a light at the end of this tunnel. And the league isn't stopping. They're going to put G League guys in there. They're going to sign the Isaiah Thomases and the James Ennises of the world, and they're going to try to make this work. And at the end of the day, cases will eventually calm down. Guys, they'll be tested in the locker room so you won't have outbreaks on the teams and things will go back to normal. Uh, Just in general, it's just a general rule of thumb, never care about something more than the person who's actually involved cares about it. This is, it's, it's a way to avoid your own stress levels. You know, a, a little short anecdote. I play in a men's league on Sundays and I've been doing it for years now and I have a good rhythm and group now. But when I first started doing the men's leagues, I used to get really frustrated 
because I took the game so seriously. I practiced, uh, you know, on my individual game and I went into those games and I, I, I tried to win them at the best of my ability. Why? Because I'm a former college athlete. It's baked into who I am as a competitor. And when I get on a basketball court, I'm trying to kill you. That's just who I am as a, as a guy on the court. Well, you know, I would get annoyed that some of the guys on my team wouldn't care as much as I would. And it wouldn't be something I said to them directly. I would just complain to my wife about it in the car on the way home. And my wife said something to me, and it was so profound. She goes, honey, don't ever expect them to care as much as you do. You know, like you care a certain amount, and that's good for you. But to these guys, it's just for fun, you know? And it was profound. It was just, she's like, don't waste time caring if someone else doesn't care. And so a couple, I made a couple changes there. I found a couple of other college athletes. So I have three or four guys on my teams now that actually care as much as I do. And then with the rest of the guys on the roster, I never allow myself to get upset about it. Why? Because they don't care. And I should never care more than, I should never allow myself to get upset because I care more than they care. And that, that's kind of the ideology I would take the, with this. If you're sitting on your couch and you're upset that there's so many guys catching COVID in the NBA, they don't care, guys. They don't care. So don't allow yourself to get stressed out and get upset because they feel a certain way and you don't. Just if you're upset about it, you know, you can cope with that however you want, but you're not going to get a reaction out of them when they simply don't care. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. I'm going to post this one immediately because of the news surrounding AD, but I will be there for the post-game show tomorrow. We're on the road in Chicago. The game starts at, I think, 5 Pacific Standard Time, so plan on the post-game show right around 7.30 Pacific Standard Time. As always, I appreciate your guys' support, and I will see you tomorrow.